unions call him notorious. Marxists hate him. You're listening to Peter List and Union Free Radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in to LaborUnionReport.com's Union Free Radio, where we are shedding the light on today's unions. I'm your host, Peter List. Our numbers are 888-668-6466. That's 1-888-NO-UNION. Or you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's Workplace RPP. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Why don't we just call it the Kill American Jobs Act or the Kill Free Enterprise Act? Because that's really what it is. And if you're just tuning in to Union Free Radio, what we are talking about is the Protecting the Right to Organize Act or the PRO Act. It is a bill that has passed the House of Representatives twice now, and it is currently three votes shy of passage in the U.S. Senate. It is a bill that President Biden has talked about. He talked about it last week in his State of the Union address. But let's talk about how radically different and dangerous this bill is and we're not going to cover all of the things in it because it is a massive rewrite of american labor law and and employment law here in the u.s that really threatens the free enterprise system so let's roll joe the american jobs plan is a blue collar blueprint to build america that's what it is And recognize something I've always said in this chamber and the other. Good guys and women on Wall Street, but Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country, and unions built the middle class. So that's why I'm calling on Congress to pass Protect the Right to Organize Act, the PRO Act, and send it to my desk so we can support the right to unionize. Well, that was President Biden last week talking about his $2.1 trillion infrastructure plan. And as you just heard, there's a throwaway line uh, urging passage of the PRO Act. But what is in the PRO Act? Let me just be frank. It is a litany of bad ideas that Democrats, their allies, from socialists to union bosses, want to put into law. It will radically transform the economic system here in the United States, in the private sector. Whether you've got one employee yourself, if you're self-employed and use freelancers or subcontractors to corporations in the Fortune 500. It is a dangerous bill that, if it does pass, will impact everyone. It will lead to job losses. Heck, it already has out in California, and that's just at the state level. So it is a bunch of bad ideas, and what we're going to do is focus on what I consider the top five. There are many more in that bill, and it's only 34 pages. So if you're interested in finding out what is in the bill, go to proactfacts.org. You can read it for yourself. It is bad. The Democratic Socialists of America is a leader in this fight because we know that crushing capitalism and winning higher wages, universal health care, dignity in our workplaces, home for all, racial justice, international justice, and a Green New Deal is only possible with an empowered working class. And the PRO Act will help us take back our power. Okay, so that's Sidney Gazarian, a.k.a. Sidney Cat from Los Angeles, 
According to KeyWiki, she is a founding member of the Democrat Socialists of America's Climate and Environmental Justice Working Group. She's also a climate organizer and advisory board member for The Trouble, whatever that is. The DSA, or the Democrat Socialists of America, if you go to their website, dsausa.org, they've stated on there about the PRO Act, DSA's highest national priority is to pass the PRO Act, which would, quote, strengthen unions, the power of the working class to organize on the job, and our collective capacity to win a just transition to a green economy for all. Now, according to the DSA, they've made over 525,000 calls to the various senators that are still holdouts on the PRO Act. That's on the one side of the table. On the other side of the table is the 30-second web ad from the Chamber of Commerce. Take a listen. There are some radical ideas in Washington these days. Some in Congress want to take away private ballots in union elections, exposing workers to harassment and intimidation. They want to allow unions to picket and boycott a company's clients, suppliers, and contractors. And they want to force employers to fire workers who choose not to join a union. Tell Congress to stop this radical agenda and protect America's workers. Okay, so that was the Chamber of Commerce's 30-second web ad talking about the PRO Act. You can find it at StopTheProAct.com. Both the DSA as well as the Chamber are hitting some of the highlights of the PRO Act, but they're not really getting into the details. So let's get into the details a little bit. And again, I'm only covering what I consider the top five. Um, But there is much more to the PRO Act, and to some people, some parts may be even more dangerous than what I'm talking about. Others will probably um, see the merits of these top five. So here we go. You are listening to Union Free Radio. Number five. All right, number five on our top five list of things that people hate about the PRO Act is the elimination of state right-to-work laws. Now, right-to-work gets a little bit confusing, because sometimes people think it is the same as employment at will. It is not. A right-to-work law simply means that if you go to work at a unionized company or if your company becomes unionized, you cannot be fired for refusing to pay union fees. The agreement between an employer and a union cannot include what's called a union security clause that requires payment. That would be unlawful in a right-to-work state. In the 27 states that have enacted right-to-work laws, those agreements are unlawful. In the 23 states that don't have right-to-work laws, it is legal for a union and an employer to agree to something called a union security clause in their contract that requires payment from the employees to the union as a condition of employment. In other words, if you refuse to pay the union, the union sends a letter to the company, the company then has to fire you. That is legal in the 23 states that do not have right-to-work laws. Now, to give you a little bit of history, from 1935 to 1947, there's no such thing as a right-to-work law. Then Congress amended the National Labor Relations Act to include a provision that allows states on an individual basis to enact right-to-work laws. So increasingly, over the last 75 years, states have grown, the number of states with right-to-work laws have grown to be more than half of the states in the U.S., And currently we are at 27 uh, right-to-work states and 23 states that do not have right-to-work laws on the books. Unions hate right-to-work laws because, and I'll just say this as a former union rep, you are required to represent people who are not paying union dues. 
And as a result, you're spending union dues members' money, union members' dues money, sorry, uh, to represent people that aren't paying you. And that is frustrating. So understandably, unions don't like it. Um, However, if you believe in individual choice, voluntarism, as uh, labor leaders used to in the past, decades and decades ago, right-to-work laws would be a good thing because it's a voluntary choice. Unions don't, today's unions don't like voluntarism. They like compulsory union membership. So that is number five on the list of things people hate about the PRO Act, the elimination of right-to-work laws. Number four. Number four on the list of things that people hate about the PRO Act is the imposition of California's disastrous AB5 law across the United States. Now, to give you some background, we have what is referred to as a gig economy, where about 36% or 59 million Americans work as independent contractors, freelancers for companies like Facebook, Google, um, Uber, Lyft, and a whole bunch of others. So bear in mind, 36%, right? Well, unions only represent in the private sector 6.3%. So a lot of these folks who are freelancers or gig workers are not unionized, therefore not paying union dues. So back in 2019, a union organizer turned politician by the name of Lorena Gonzalez out in California wrote a bill called the AB5 bill. It passed in the California legislature. Gavin Newsom signed it into law, and it took effect in 2020. It immediately cost workers their gigs. Writers from Vox, other independent contractors, freelancers, etc., lost their jobs or their gigs. Now, what the PRO Act does is it wants to impose that standard, what's called the ABC test, across the United States. If you want to know what specifically is in the ABC test, you can go to proactfacts.org or just check it out online. On Twitter, you can go to Fight for Freelancers. There's a ton of examples out there of people who have lost their gigs. And again, it affects about 59 million Americans. Number three. Number three on the top five list of things people hate about the PRO Act is the enactment or the enshrinement into law the joint employer standard. And what that is, is essentially a franchisor or a business that franchises out to smaller businesses can be held liable for what their franchises do on an individual basis. And as some of you may know, the National Labor Relations Board, which is an independent agency that is has its members appointed by the President of the United States, has a tendency to swing back and forth depending on which party is sitting in the White House. So back in 2015, under President Obama, the National Labor Relations Board held that franchises, franchisors, uh, the national firms, can be held responsible for actions taken by small businesses that use their brands. So that put franchises, franchisors at risk for being sued for things that they never did and had no power to stop. According to the International Franchise Association, the joint employer standard created by the National Labor Relations Board in 2015 led to near nearly doubling of litigation costs against franchise businesses, costing franchisers $33 billion per year and prevented the creation of 376,000 new jobs. Now, President Trump's National Labor Relations Board rescinded the Obama ruling on joint employer status. However, now with the new administration, the National Labor Relations Board once again reversed its decision, went back to the 
Obama board's joint employer standard. The PRO Act puts that into law. Number two. Now, number two on the list of things that people hate about the PRO Act is really a compilation of issues that are as written individual sections in the PRO Act, but I'm going to cover it under one umbrella. And the reason for that is ostensibly the purpose of the PRO Act is to help unions regain their foothold by unionizing more companies. And if you're one of the 10 plus million employers out there that is not an airline or a railroad, which is covered under a separate labor law, you should be concerned about these issues. The first thing is the PRO Act redefines what a supervisor is under the National Labor Relations Act. In other words, what they want to do is make it so that supervisors are no longer, or at least a section of supervisors or a proportion of supervisors are no longer agents of the company. They'd rather be able to unionize them and also not to have companies utilize them during union organizing campaigns. So they redefine a supervisor or redefine supervisory status. The PRO Act also codifies ambush elections into the law. Now, back in 2014, the National Labor Relations Board under President Obama instituted something called the ambush elections or quickie elections. And it was basically to shorten the election time frame from petition filing to having the actual election. Companies will be required to furnish employee names, their addresses, telephone numbers, email addresses, cell phone numbers. That also applies today, but that is also going to be codified into the law. The big thing, one of the big things is, um, and this should concern anybody who's ever run a business or it, it just has common sense. If a union petitions to hold an election at ABC company today, they would normally file a petition asking for what they consider to be an appropriate bargaining unit. So let's say ABC company has a petition filed and they've got five departments. A union could say, we want to, we want to represent department B instead of A and B, C, D, and E. Well, what would happen is an employer today would have the right to say, no, that's not an appropriate unit because there's interface, community of interest, there's common work being done, common supervision, etc. Under, under today's law, or the way it works today, is once the company were to argue that it's an inappropriate unit, the labor board would take testimony or take statements from both the employer and the union. They may hold a hearing. They come out with a decision on what the appropriate bargaining unit is. If either party disagrees with that, they can appeal that decision to Washington. And in the long haul, if either party agree with the decision at that point, they can go to the federal courts. However, under the PRO Act, the employer has no standing with respect to what is an appropriate or inappropriate bargaining unit. So basically, if a union wants to unionize your business, you can't say that's an inappropriate unit, despite the fact that you may have facts to say otherwise, because you have no standing. That is concerning. And quite frankly, that is a bridge crossing the Rubicon that frankly, we'd never see in the past or had never seen in the past. The other thing that it does is the PRO Act requires reporting, financial reporting from both the employer and any kind of labor council that they hire to help guide them or navigate them through the intricacies of what they're allowed to say or do or not allowed to say or do. So what happens is um, if the 
if the attorney helps guide the management team on here's what you're allowed to say, here's how you can say it, here's what you're not allowed to say, here's what you don't want to say, etc., that can now be, it's now under the PRO Act, reportable to the Department of Labor. The attorney's got to file a form within 30 days saying his, here's how much he or she is getting paid, and then the employer also has to file how much was paid to the attorney. That becomes public information. So what that means is there is a lot of lawyers out there who probably are not going to want to file reporting reports with the Department of Labor. Um, this was an issue several years ago, and it got stopped. The ABA, which is the American Bar Association, actually filed a lawsuit, got an injunction. Um, but unions basically want lawyers to have to file what would otherwise be attorney-client privilege statements. The other thing that PROACT does, um, and on the surface it doesn't sound like it's a bad thing, but I'll get into that in a second. What the PROACT does for the first time ever is it establishes monetary fines uh, against employers that, uh, that arguably violate the National Labor Relations Act. And as I said, it doesn't sound bad until you kind of understand how the process works. So if anybody who's ever been an employer or agent of the employer who's ever been accused of violating the National Labor Relations Act, they're called unfair labor practices, you know it's not a fair process. What happens is unions are legally allowed to file whatever kind of charges they think will stick. Um, some of them t sometimes are made up, and the labor board conducts an investigation. They, If they find there's merit, then they would do uh, the prosecution portion of it, and they become the judge. It's kind of a kangaroo court. What's worse is it's a union kangaroo court. What that means is the National Labor Relations Board, and a lot of people are shocked to find this out, is a unionized entity. There's what's called the National Labor Relations Board Union. So if a union files a charge at the National Labor Relations Board, the investigator is going to be a union member. The person that holds hearings, the hearing officer, is also going to be a union member. Or an administrative law judge is also going to be a union member. Those are the people that are going to decide your guilt or innocence. It is not a jury trial, nor is it a fair trial. So if assuming you're going to get found guilty, then now they're going to have the ability under the PRO Act to fine you money. And you're going to have to wait until they try to enforce it to get to a federal court where you may or may not have a shot at getting that reversed or reduced. That's kind of a, a new thing that um, unions have been trying to get for a long time. Obviously, it's going to be subject to abuse um, because that's what happens today. So anyway, that's that's number two, the big compilation or umbrella of, of different things in there. There's more to it. But again, you need to go to proactfacts.org. Read the bill for yourself. You are listening to Union Free Radio. Number one. All right. Number one on the list of top five reasons why to hate the Pro Act. Um, I didn't save the best for last. I saved the worst for last. This to me is the bridge too far. It is a radical departure from the role of federal government in labor relations. It is a disaster for both employers and for workers, but it helps unions. So what the PRO Act calls for is binding arbitration for first contracts. This is putting the role of the federal government squarely in the middle and dictating wages and benefits. It takes away the right of employers. It takes away away the right of employees, and it really is just a giveaway to unions. 
So to give you a little bit of background, since 1935, it has always been part of the federal law, the National Labor Relations Act, to require companies and unions to bargain, and they have to bargain in good faith, which means simply they have to meet at reasonable times and places. They have to meet with an open mind for the purposes of reaching an agreement. However, since 1935, the law has been very clear in stating that there is no requirement for either party to agree to a proposal, nor is there any requirement for a party to agree, period. So that means you have to negotiate, but you don't have to agree. For unions over the years, and this is this kind of goes to how impotent they've become in helping workers throughout the United States, in the 1990s, when President Clinton was off, in office, in 1994, there was a commission called the Dunlop Commission. In the Dunlap Commission report, it stated that unions, once they were getting voted in and certified, that they were failing to get first-time contracts about a third of the time. In the mid-2000s, another study was done, as reported in the Wall Street Journal, that unions were stating they weren't getting contracts about 45% of the time. And there's been numerous studies on this. So unions are really, their power has been diminished over the years. Frankly, it has very little to do with employer opposition, a whole lot to do with globalization. However, in the mid-2000s, unions and their allies in Congress tried to get passed, and it actually passed the House of Representatives, a bill called the Employee Free Choice Act. In the Employee Free Choice Act, there is three main components. One was card check, which that is not in the PRO Act, surprisingly. The other was binding arbitration. And for me, as a former union representative who's, who's involved in labor relations, that to me was the job killer. That was in EFCA. Well, guess what? It's also in the PRO Act. And so what it, what it calls for in the PRO Act is if you become unionized, there's 90 days between the company and the union negotiating where if they don't come up with an agreement after 90 days, they go to mediation. If they don't have an agreement after 30 days of mediation, then it goes to what's called binding arbitration where a panel of, a handpicked panel of government bureaucrats, for no better term, uh, decides what your contract's going to be. And there's some considerations to it in that the contract has to pay a living wage. It has to take into account what other unionized businesses are doing. It has to take into account the financial uh, well-being of the company to some degree. So what you're really looking at is pattern bargaining, industry-wide bargaining, and imposing these on employers. If you're in the construction industry, it'll put you into a union, likely put you into a union pension plan or health and welfare plan. This is a disaster for the American free enterprise system. It will kill jobs. Companies will go out of business, or if they're big enough, they'll just outsource the work overseas, i.e. globalization. But it is a disaster, and it is not getting talked about enough. So that, to me, is the worst part about the PRO Act. The rest of it is bad. This is a disaster. You are listening to Union Free Radio. So as we close out this episode of LaborUnionReport.com's Union Free Radio, I'm going to give you a couple statistics, and I'm going to share a survey with you. So there are over 30 million small businesses here in the United States, over 10 million, nearly 11 million, that are employers. Now, that's not your big name brands, your big chains, your you know, massive factories, the car makers and all that sort of stuff. These are mom and pops, small businesses. And according to smallbiztrends.com, a survey that was done back in April, 
61% of small businesses say the PRO Act will destroy their business. And I'm going to give you, give you some of the stats that they cite off. The majority, 61% of independent contractors, anticipate losing 76% or more of their business. That's largely because only 17% of small business owners said they could afford to hire freelancers as W-2 employees. Looking at demographics, 67% of women-owned businesses would lose most of their business, with many saying their parents who freelance to accommodate children's schedules. Veterans were similar, with 65% reporting the same massive loss of revenue. Nearly half of all small businesses would be forced to shut down, as many depend on hiring freelancers to win business, manage costs, and keep companies afloat. Minority-owned businesses would also suffer major losses as 62% said, quote, vitally or highly dependent upon having or a side hustle to stay afloat. So there you have it. Small businesses are petrified that they're going to get destroyed if the PRO Act passes. It's a bad bill. It needs to go away. And the Senate should make sure that it never sees Biden's desk. So we're going to finish out this episode with a little old school Isaac Hayes. Hopefully you've gotten some good information about the PRO Act. If you need more information, please go to proactfacts.org. Visit us at laborunionreport.com or give us a call at 1-888-NO-UNION. Thanks for listening to Union Free Radio. Have a great day. listening to Union Free Radio.